And hello to you, and welcome to the Richard Nichols Podcast, the personal development podcast series that's here to help inspire, educate, and motivate you to be the best you can be. I'm psychotherapist Richard Nichols, and this is episode 176. It's titled, The Meaning of Life. And if you're ready, we'll start the show. Welcome to a new month, you gorgeous people. I've got some big news for you. I started my patron-only episodes back in January, earlier this year, and said back then that I'd try it for a year to see if it's worth doing. Turns out, yes it is. And as the patron count has snuck up, slowly but surely, over the year, it's up to enough now for me to take a single take take a day off, a single day off each week um, to make a podcast rather than doing it over the weekend and in the evening. I can do it one day each week, whichever day that's going to be, maybe Fridays. So as of January, one day each week is just going to be for podcasting and not client work. And what I was originally going to do was begin lowering the cost of that as more patrons came on board. Uh, to $7 is the top level at the minute, was going to drop it to 6 more patrons come on because it's cheaper, drop it to 5 and so on and so on. But chatting with my patrons about all this, they're the ones that are paying for it, what we've decided to do instead is keep it at the $7 per month level and use the extra cash, this is exciting, are you ready for this, to fund counselling or psychotherapy for someone who wouldn't normally be able to afford it. NHS waiting times for counselling is far too long at the minute. It's ridiculous. I mean, absolutely ridiculous. And it's severely underfunded. I know politicians are talking about how they plan to increase funding over the next few years, but it's such a big job. And if you've been following the political debates in the run-up to the flipping general election, you'll see that there are some high earners who just aren't happy to see tax increases. And if there is a way of crowdsourcing it so that only those that can afford to and are willing to contribute extra can do, then let's make that happen. So whether you want to be a top level patron for $7 each month and get all my extras or you just want to donate a dollar or somewhere in between, or more, or whatever, each month, please go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com, forward slash Richard Nichols. And I'm going to be working with the BACP and UKCP therapists here in the UK to provide funds when someone says either that they need to stop therapy on financial grounds or can't even start. And I'm really excited about it. And it's taking the edge off this general election and Brexit stuff for me, that's for sure. So that's that. And moving on with the episode partly influenced by all of that, although I was planning on talking about this at some point this year anyway, today is all about having meaning and purpose to your life, something that crops up a lot in emails from listeners and definitely crops up in the therapy room. To a degree, I think everyone has some sort of existential crisis at least once in their life and wonders what the point of it all is. We go to work. We come home, we eat, we go to bed, 
and rinse and repeat until you're too old to do it any longer. And although there's other stuff that goes on, sometimes we don't see it because our thoughts are clouded by what, by what, what, what seems like pointless things. Now, I want to separate something, though. I want to separate meaning from purpose. Because I think of them as two different things, really. We can have a meaningful life without having any particular purpose, you see. Because living a meaningful life becomes the purpose. If what we do on a fairly consistent basis has a point, has some sort of meaning, there's a reason for it, then life doesn't feel so empty. It reminds me of something that a lecturer called Dan Ariel once said, which was that if aliens were watching us and they witnessed a marathon, they would see all these people running and think that it must be some sort of punishment, that these thousands of people must be being forced to run those 26 miles because the only reason to be happy with it is when it's over. It's the getting, the getting it over with that makes people happy not the running of it. Yet the runners themselves, on the whole, would say that it's the entire experience that makes them enjoy it, the start, the middle and the end, the training, the doing and the crossing of the finish line. Yet there's hardly any moment in the whole 26 miles where they wouldn't be just as happy, if not happier, at home with a cup of tea, a packet of biscuits and watching Only Fools and Horses. Which is fine but has less meaning than the marathon does. But it looks as if there's no purpose to running non-stop for 26 miles until you know what it it means to each runner, each participant. And each runner may say something different about what the marathon means to them. So when you ask people about their purpose, if you ask them why they get out of bed every day, most people will say it's because of their job. They get up so they can go to work, so that they can have a roof over their head and pay for some nice experiences. And for a lot of people, that's fine. But not for everyone. Not just because not everyone is in work, but for some people, even when they are, it still feels flat. It's not enough to do a job every day, just so you can then spend a week or two not doing it somewhere different. And like the... The mountain climbers that spend months training for their climb, they get to the top and spend hardly any time there because they're so cold and tired and they just want to get back down as soon as possible. Then when they do, they start planning their next climb. (laughs) And I've met those people. You might be one of them. It's as if what motivates us isn't the resting. It's not the two weeks in the sun. It's the achievements the pursuit of some goal, so that even when we get there, we want the whole journey again. But without the end result, the journey itself is meaningless. It's literally torture. Victorian prisons used to do exactly that as a punishment. Prisoners would have to turn the handle on a a crank machine, this, this box with a handle on it, that did nothing, other than force cups through sand inside this box. And depending on how much punishment the wardens thought that the prisoners should get that day, the adjusting screw was set to a a specific level for them. Supposedly, it's why prison warders got the, the nickname of screws. Who knows? 
It was 120 years ago. But it wouldn't have been much of a, a punishment if there was a reason for it, if there was a point. One quite well-known study that shows this was published in the Journal of Economic Behaviour and Organisation, where three MIT professors put this experiment together. Basically, if you want to know how significant having meaning to what we do is, you need some sort of statistics, some numbers to measure. So what they did is create a couple of tasks that could be made either meaningless or meaningful. They could do the task as many times as they like and they'd be paid a small amount to do it. But every time they did it, they earned a little bit less until they would earn pretty much nothing. So if you get enough people to take part, you can see the differences between each group in when they decide to stop doing it. So the first task was to look through a series of letters on a page trying to find where the double letter S's were. Each page had 10 of these um, double letter S's, SS. You had to look for them in all these letters, in all the, yeah, this jumble up of letters on this page. If they found them, they'd hand in the paper to the experimenter and they'd earn 55 cents. If they wanted to do it again, they'd earn 50 cents. If they wanted to do it again, they then earned 45 cents and so on and so on until they decided to quit. And then they got all the pennies or cents because this was in the States. Now, there were three groups where the task is exactly the same, but one of three things happened. Number one, they were asked to write their name on the sheet beforehand and were told that when they handed it into the experimenter, the experimenter would examine it and file it away. And they called this the acknowledged condition. Number two. That group wasn't asked to write their name on it. It was to be anonymous. And they were told that when they handed it in, the experimenter would simply put it on top of an existing pile of papers and wouldn't look at them. This was called the ignored condition. And number three was the same as the ignored condition, except that as well as being unexamined, each time they handed one in, it would immediately go through a shredding machine right in front of them. So this was called the shredded condition. Now, because it was possible to cheat in all of the conditions, seeing as no one was monitoring it there and then, and the incentives to cheat are arguably higher in the ignored condition and especially in the shredded condition, where cheating was not only impossible to detect but there was no consequences at all if they did. Now, when you ask other people what differences they'd expect to see happen between these three groups, people tend to say that because the first group requires you to be more conscientious and the other two, especially the shredded group, were, were where cheating is not only possible but inconsequential and requires less work, then people would want more money for doing it in that first group. So they'd quit sooner. Wrong. Turns out, it's the exact opposite. In the acknowledged condition, the average wage where they decided to stop was about 15 cents. In the ignored condition, it was 26 cents on average, and in the shredded condition was 28 cents. Because the workers were being acknowledged by someone, they were willing to work for almost half the money. Or, look at it this way, 
when being ignored and unacknowledged, we want twice as much. Almost half of the people in the acknowledged group were willing to work for five cents. In the other two groups, only 17% would go that low down. Yet they're all doing exactly the same thing with the same purpose. The purpose being, I'm taking part in an academic study in the economics department of this university. But there is a different meaning behind what they're all doing. And the study found exactly the same thing by asking people if they wanted to build some Lego Bionicles designs for money. Two groups this time, all following the same Lego design each time that would take about 10 minutes to assemble. And when they'd finished, they'd hand it into the experimenter to get $2, and then if they wanted to make it again, they'd earn 11 cents less until they'd made 20 of them, where it would stay at 2 cents for every one that they made until they decided to quit, and they could just go and collect the money and leave. Now, one group, when they handed it in, the design sat on a desk, and they were just given a new, identical box to build, and the experimenter's desk would fill up with all these Lego Bionicles characters, all exactly the same. And they called this the Meaningful Group. The second group only had two identical Lego kits, so that when they were given the next one, the one they just previously built was then being taken apart by the experimenter and put back in the box. And if they wanted to do it another time, they'd get the same kit back to rebuild it. And they called this one the Sisyphus group. Because in Greek mythology, Sisyphus was a king who was punished by the god Zeus for his deceitfulness and was forced to roll a huge boulder up a hill, only for it to roll back down again whenever it got close to the top and had to repeat it all for eternity. That was Sisyphus. Now, Despite the fact that the physical task requirements and the wage schedule were identical in both groups, the subjects in the meaningful condition built significantly more bionicles than those in the Sisyphus condition. In the meaningful group, one of the 20 that was taking part made 22 of them. They almost ran out of Lego. And the most popular quitting point in that group was after making 10 of those characters. In the Sisyphus condition, no one went past making 13 of them. And the most popular quitting point was just four. Now, when you ask other people what they expect to see happen, people correctly assume that they'd make less in that group. People predict that the first group would probably just make only one extra bionicle. That it being pointless wouldn't have much of an influence. Some but not much. But no, it has a huge influence. And the horrible thing about this, the, the awful part of this experiment, was that before the 40 people who were building Lego started, they were each asked about their normal enjoyment of building Lego. Because what you'd expect is that if someone naturally enjoys putting Lego together anyway, then they'd build more. And in the meaningful condition... That's exactly what you see. On the graph, it's a straight line. The more that they previously said they enjoy it, the more likely they are to make more. But in the I might as well be pushing a boulder up a hill and watching it roll back down group, there was literally zero correlation at all. It didn't matter how much they normally enjoy Lego. In that condition, it did not have any influence at all on how many they made. So... 
The experiment contained people who had a natural appreciation for a particular task and the experimenters were able to destroy it. And anyone that's been halfway through a project at work and then been told that it's been scrapped knows exactly how that feels. And I've met plenty of people like that. I work in the West Midlands and for a little while, more at least, there's a lot of engineering projects around here. But the financial crisis of 2008 and the pulling out of uh, UK investors following the Brexit vote has led to so many people feeling just like those Lego builders. They might have a purpose, go to work, pay the mortgage, but the meaning behind it feels pointless. And so their enjoyment of life slumps. So what do we do, guys? It's one thing to know all about this, but how do we apply it? If our purpose is just to live, how do we find the meaning in our life? Well, we've got to go looking for it. We've got to look for it until we find it. And if we can't find it, then we need to make it. And if there aren't enough hours in the day or days in the week, then something's probably got to change. So look at the things you do and the projects you have. I use the word project rather than goal because goals can have a conclusion, a finishing point, but projects can be ongoing. So what are your projects? If I look at mine, and I've done, because of this episode, I've done this. Actually, I've been kind of doing this on and off for the last sort of 10 years anyway. But OK, if I look at my projects, I've got my client work, I've got my podcast, and now I've got my fundraising idea. I help some friends and colleagues with their websites. These all seem a little external, although I do like the, the website stuff for lots of reasons. The software I use is called Rapid Weaver and is very much based on a community of small developers making these little plugins. And there's a, there's a real sense of belonging with it, bizarrely. What else? What do I enjoy? Well, I love spending time with my family. My wife, my son, they're really important to me. And what else? Well, I love words. I love stories, so literature, reading, even graphic novels with amazing artwork to appreciate at the same time. I love learning, knowledge, understanding of things. Even though I'm, a, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, I, I want to try and understand as much of it as I can. I love music, listening to it and playing it. I love playing my guitar, even though I sound awful in comparison to most. There's a theatre company that I work with, producing plays, again, maybe because of my... Uh, love of words, but the entertaining side of the the putting on of a performance for someone, seeing hard work produce something, even if all it generates is that wasn't bad for an amateur show, was it? You know, it might just generate that. That was worth six quid. You know, <laughs> I love it. I support the associations and the registers that look after talk therapists, and I'm interested in the campaign for real ale and humanism. And maybe a lot of these dozen or so things all have the same foundations that run through them. Maybe it's supporting the underdog. Maybe it's connections to other people. Maybe it's lots of things. But to me, it all has meaning. And over these years, in order to see my life as meaningful, I've had to trim away the fat until these core things are what's left. And in order to feel that you're living a meaningful life, maybe you need to do the same. If you write down all the projects you've got ongoing, not just the goals you have, not just get fit, learn Italian or whatever, but everything you're involved in, and look for the meaning behind it all. Look at each one of your projects in turn 
and think about its importance to you. Why you want to do it or achieve it? What does it mean to you? Is it consistent with your values, your personality traits? When I look through my things, it does, finally. I've trimmed away the things that are inconsistent with my values and I'm left with a meaningful life right now, anyway, this time and place. I regularly evaluate it and reevaluate it. I see a therapist every two or three weeks and talk all these things through to make sure I'm living a life that is consistent with my values and my personality traits. And hopefully, that means I can pay it forward and try and make the world a better place. And as with topics like this, it's huge. And a single 15 minutes now, 20 minute plus uh, episode um, is really only scratching the surface. There is so much more that we can explore here. And if you'd like to play a bigger part in all of this, then please consider becoming a patron of the podcast in some sense or other. If you go to patreon.com and search for Richard Nichols or follow the link in the show notes, you can join Patreon and support um, what I'm doing, either the top level tier, the $7 per month level, where you get all my previous podcast episodes going back years, you get a, a new one every Monday morning and access to my hypnotherapy and meditation exercises as well, or you can join up and pay whatever you want, even just $1 per month to help fund therapy sessions for someone who ordinarily wouldn't be able to get it. It's no exaggeration to say that we have the ability to not just change lives, but save them. And personally, I can't think of a bigger purpose. I really, really can't. So I'll let you go and do that if you like. You don't have to. Your life is your own. If you're a top-level patron, I'll be back on Monday with another episode for you. And if not, have a great Christmas, and I'll speak to you in the new year. Take care, folks. Bye! Bye!